Welcome to New York, Quebec, and the water route to the center of the world. This is Halloween bonus episode 7, Demonic Possession in the French Atlantic World. 1692, Salem, Massachusetts. An unseen force or malady begins to inflict physical and social pain upon the people of this small New England town. Emanating from no less than the local reverend's household, the affliction seemingly spread far and wide roping in various connected peoples in an ever-growing feedback loop of accusations fueled by social tension. A total of 19 witches and warlocks were hung, with one man being crushed by stones. The episode ended when the accusation circle widened enough to include powerful figures in the local area and laid bare the fault lines running through this new community living on the edge of their quote-unquote civilized world. We can see the tensions between Salem town and village, where political power and taxation rights have the two communities at a loggerheads. We can see social tensions between the dark woods, the role of women, and slavery clashing with social Puritan rules. I think most importantly, we get a glimpse into the real-life daily routines and beliefs of this alien world, where the role of religion played a part that is mostly incomprehensible to modern peoples. The witchcraft scare in early modern Europe made its way over the Atlantic with colonists and melded with African beliefs and fear of native peoples. Salem was not the first place to experience such outbreaks. A little over 30 years before and far to the north in Quebec, a young girl traveling from France would set off an explosive round of psychological horror, religious intrigue, and social rule bending as her community sought to end the scourge of what they saw as demonic possession in their midst. New France was envisioned by Samuel Champlain to be a world where the old divisions got muddled together to bring about something better. The divide between Protestants and Catholics had torn apart France in the early 17th century, and her colonial endeavors changed only when the company of 100 associates came to promulgate a Catholic doctrine starting in 1627. French Huguenots or Protestants had lost both the physical war and now were officially banned, legally speaking, from settling in Quebec. Still, the major gateways to the colony went through the recently subjugated, firmly French Protestant ports in the southwest of France. French sailors and merchants were known to harbor heretical views and were made to sign declarations of their firmly established Catholic faith. In practice, the colony still contained a sizable amount of Huguenots right under the surface. Colonial and church officials feared an alliance with English and Dutch Protestants to the south and communal discord. Another religiously-minded concern was the encroachment of the Iroquois and their impact on the social fabric of New France. Iroquois expansion had surged by the mid-17th century and was directly impacting the St. Lawrence River Valley settlements before the first permanent French troops were stationed in the colony by 1665. A few years earlier in 1660, a young teenage girl crossed the Atlantic with her parents and arrived in Beauport, New France. She was in her early teens and had reached the age of consent needed to marry. The gender ratio in Quebec was lopsided and gave young women a degree of agency in their choice. Many, including my own ancestors, signed marriage contracts on the ship over. Barbara Allais had indeed been proposed such a union during her voyage, but her parents rejected this request from an unreputable man named Daniel Vouille. This man was thought to be a Huguenot and a lawless character who sold liquor to natives. 
Spurned by his love interest, Ville stewed in the fall of 1660 as Barbet took a job as a servant to a local noblewoman. The manorial house soon experienced strange phenomena, including poltergeist-like phantom music, full-bodied apparitions, and most concerning of all was the dangerous movement of inanimate objects like heavy stones. A series of Catholic authorities attempted to exorcise the demon from the girl, but strange occurrences seemed to be only getting worse. The teen was brought to the Hôtel du in Quebec City and placed under the care of Augustinian nuns running the hospital. Her named alleged tormentor was imprisoned, interrogated, and finally executed. The occurrences continued to plague Barbara even after the execution of Louis. So she was transferred out of the hospital and back to the manorial house where her employer took it upon herself to cleanse the young woman of this affliction. On October 15, 1662, Marie Regunard began to ready her assault on these supernatural forces attacking her household. Obviously a woman and a lay one at that, Marie's efforts seemed right out of a modern exorcism movie made in Hollywood. She obtained holy relics of a local saint and followed the basic Roman ritual to get rid of a demon. The young girl's demon seemed perturbed by the presence of this relic and fell into the trap of naming a godly hierarchy through which they could be subjected to follow. Barbara thrashed, vomited, and seemingly moved stone from the fireplace. But the efforts of the noblewoman forced the demon to leave the girl in a breath-like form. Barbara seemed to be conversing with two unseen witches at the foot of her bed afterwards. But all the woman of the manor could hear was indiscernible noises. The application of the holy relic also forced the disappearance of these two alleged witches. The poor young girl seemed fine, but several days later was met by an alleged man who dabbled in the black arts on the road. The man actually attempted to kidnap her and spoke to her in a vile manner. Though rescued, she experienced a resurgence of paranormal activity in her manor house. The attacks culminated in the destruction of the central chimney of the house, but supplications to the same saints used prior seemed to do the trick of ridding her once more. Historian Mary Cohen gives us an excellent background on the noblewoman who inserted herself into this dangerous situation amongst the chaotic world. Marie was born in 1599 and came from a noble family. Her husband was of noble birth and had successfully obtained a landholding from the company of 100 associates. She had arrived in 1634 in Quebec with her husband and two children. She was already pregnant during the voyage and gave birth shortly after arriving to her third child. My own great-uncle Samuel Champlain acted as godfather to Marie's first-born child here in the New World. Marie's husband had training in surgery, and her daughter Françoise would grow up to become a nun known for her healing skills at the Hôtel Dieu in Quebec. Marie played the role of maternal protector to all in her household, including servants, and would aggressively use this status in her later exorcism. She would have been very familiar with the Jesuit order, given her status in society and their role in Quebec's religious development. It's at this junction of religion and societal duty that we can glimpse the continuity across the Atlantic Basin. Jesuit priests had been for years attempting to convert Huron and Iroquois peoples, while settling them in villages closer to New France's heartland to act as buffers. 
Taken captive by Iroquois Mohawks seeking to eliminate sources of their kin's conversion in 1749, Father Jean de Brebeuf was tortured and killed. He had boiling water poured over him, while his heart was eaten by the Mohawk to seize his spiritual power. The priest was made into a martyr, where his bones were cleansed and displayed in Quebec. They were reputed to possess extensive healing powers. It was this relic that Marie turned to in order to rid her servant of the demon. While a rigid set of societal expectations in France saw religious deliverance as the sphere of men, Quebec presented different situational qualities that altered or changed these societal rules once the crossing was made. Allais' cure seemed to be permanent, as she married a man she had met in the Hôtel de and settled down on a plot of land with children. Religious redemption and martyrship met new world conditions and were therefore filtered through the particular local circumstances found in Quebec. The gender imbalance, native threats, and the desire to convert created an opportunity for a powerful local woman to insert herself into the patriarchal world of religion and geopolitics. Agency and hierarchy were both maintained and upended by the challenges faced by French settlers in the New World, despite a clear continuity of beliefs shared throughout the Atlantic Basin. Thanks for listening, and remember to have a spooky 2022 Halloween season. Follow me, please, at APHistorian1754 on Twitter, and find a ton of interesting articles connecting our story to the wider Atlantic Basin on my WordPress site entitled New York, Quebec, and the Water Route to the Center of the World. Thank you.